You're listening to SermonCast Media from Antioch Community Church in Wichita, Kansas. For more of our sermons, resources, or to support this ministry financially, see our website at antiochwichita.org. And we're just looking at, um, we're just looking at the attributes of the Lord. We're just looking at him. And, um, you know, Mike, uh, oh, here we go. It's a good applicable point. Mike shared a word with me this morning. He said, he's all right if I share a word with me. Okay. Mike was over there and he was praying. He's like, God, um, he's like, man, things are so broke in our country, so broke in the nations. And it seems like everything's out of control. And Mike said he felt like, he's, and he asked the Lord, like, Lord, what do we do? And he felt like the Lord said, you're right. Things are messed up, but I am good. I am on the throne. I am over all of this worship me. And, and I'm just going to take liberty with that is that is the answer to all of us going through seasons like that is the way to get our eyes off the junk and to have peace is to look, literally look in our spirit, in our hearts at the God of heaven, the one who, whom all things were made and created through. Amen. It is a discipline in our lives to be able as a believer, full of the Holy Spirit, to take our eyes. And what I mean by is you don't go, oh, and you look in the sky all the time. What I'm saying is in your spirit and in your heart, instead of focusing on the news, focusing on the brokenness, focusing on the death and the absolute just sexual brokenness of our society, we choose to focus on the things of the Lord and just looking at him and his characteristics, his names throughout the scriptures, his names are identifiers of him. He's not just Frank or Joe or Bobby, right? He's El Shaddai. He's all of his names are descriptions of him and he is good and he is perfect. Amen. And the mind-blowing thing is for believers, as we talked over the last few weeks, and if you've missed the beginning of the series, um, the, the mind-blowing thing is God can be found. It says in the scriptures clearly in multiple places. In the last few weeks, I've used Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. There's more to that text. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope, and then you will call upon me, and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. And listen, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Either the Lord's a liar, these are just great words from a good teacher, or the God of heaven is serious when he says, hey, if you seek me with all of your heart, you'll find me. And I don't know about you, but as we've grown over the years and realized that this is less about me trying to be a good dad and a good husband and a good man and me trying to be more of a follower of Jesus that is the thing that ripples into those areas, I want to find him, right? He's not like hidden. He's not like this creature in the sky that, that's way up there, right? There's no, more, uh, there's no more veil between us and him. We, we can have closeness with the Lord. The scripture says, draw, to me, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. The God of heaven wants to draw near to us. And a lot of times in our life, if you look, it seems optional. If or when you seek me, you will find me. Which means there's a, the if's, if's the worst word in the Bible, right? It's the I word. Did he just say the I word? Right, the I word, if. It means it's optional, and for those of us that are stubborn-headed and like to kick against uh, leadership and authority, we like the if word. That's right, if, I'm, if I want to. But in the end, if we don't pursue these ifs, um, we're, we're waylaid. We're in our own flesh. So the Lord says he can be found. 
And um, I'm going to quote uh, one of my favorite things. One of my favorite preachers still to this day is Chandler. And I don't know if you guys know anything about Matt Chandler stuff that's going on with him. I still think he's one of the most godly men on the face of the earth. I love him, love his teaching, uh, like him. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, I don't care. Um, but here's one thing he says a lot um, that, I, that I love over the years, which pertains to this. He says, we make horrible gods. Right? We make horrible gods. When we dictate, and most of us would say, I was thinking about this, and like, of course we do, Rob, duh. We make horrible gods. That's why he's God and I'm not. But, but listen, we have to be careful. And listen, I'm talking to myself. We need to be careful. When we start to nitpick the truth of God, when we start to overlay our emotions, we start to overlay what we think, we start to overlay what we have been taught over the word of God and the spirit of truth, we are saying, we are shaking. This, that, that quote I've been saying a lot lately, we are shaking our fist at God. We are trying to get in on his Godism and try to say that how I feel, what I know, what I've been taught, that's reality and surely that's not what the word means. That is trying to be God. That is trying to play God. You might know him, you might love him, but if you don't holistically submit to him, what you're saying is your deity, your godness, your glory is not enough. And I have a better way. None of us would say that outright. Nobody who, no, all these, there's so many progressive churches that are just going against the word of God. They're not out there saying, well, Jesus is dumb. We're just being evil. They're saying, oh no, Jesus is love. And, and so surely he can't mean this. What they said was, we have a better version of God than the one we were presented with based on emotion, based on what you were taught, based on how you feel. And the problem with that is um, we're refusing the way of the one true God. And so the reason why we're doing this series, because we're going to talk about difficult things in the, in the days ahead, but we're starting with this because when we talk about just anything, sexuality, we talk about your money, we talk about gender identity, we talk about nationalism, whatever it is, all those things, if you don't have a full reverence first and a love for the God of heaven who speaks 100% truth, his word is inerrant. If you don't have an awe and reverence of who he is and what he says, all those conversations will just be negated by your thoughts, your emotions and what you feel like you know. The thing is, if you look at Job, and if you look at the book of Job, by the way, the book of Job is an amazing book in the Bible. Amen? I hear people say all the time, like, yeah, I'm just going through a Job season. You should sh shut up. You're not going through a Job season, right? You're not popping, you know, cysts and stuff on your face with clay pots. Your family hasn't all been wiped out. Your camels are gone. Some of you, maybe you've lost your camels. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be insensitive. But Job's in the middle of this thing, and he's pleading, and he's like, Lord, what did I do wrong? His friends are like, bro, you must have screwed up. And Job's like, I didn't screw up, I promise. And then God's response to Job is, and all these things, and his whining even, the Lord was, where were you? Where were you when I created the stars? Where were you when I, he's just infinite, and he's big, and he's worthy to be loved and praised and feared. And I think because, as we've talked over the last few weeks, of a um, biblical illiteracy, uh, no wonder people are kicking against the truths of God because we're trying to recreate them our way. And we want to repent of that. Amen? Okay, amen.
We need to be careful. So we need to ask ourselves the questions. And I've seen this play out over the last couple months um, when we, you know, when we talk about uh, issues like abortion and, and, and still just, 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 I'm not going into abortion today, but I'm just saying we talked about abortion heavily over the last couple months here, biblically what we believe. And I saw two kind of people in that place. I saw two kind of people who thought differently than what the Bible taught. And so I had one young lady who came up to me and said, listen, um, my whole life, I have kicked against that. I didn't believe that to be true. I didn't think that was of the Lord. And I was mad and I thought, well, maybe I'm just gonna stick around and just be contrary to what everybody else believes and I'll just keep my mouth shut. And then the Holy Spirit fell on her. And as we taught about what the Lord's heart is for life in a biblical way, not a Neanderthal, it's a political topic way, she repented and her life was changed. Amen? Like she changed because the Spirit of God showed her. And then in the same room, I had people that said, no! And they left our church because they refused to believe what the Bible says about life. Now, here's the deal. I'm not the author of what God thinks about abortion. I'm not the author, I'm not the, and I'm not a Republican out here toting my thing going, I believe this because it's a political ideology. It's the Imago Dei, the creation of God in a womb. Clear, simple, right? I didn't make that up. We don't come up with those things the Lord of heaven does, amen? And our job in submission, lordship is, I come underneath you, Jesus, and I don't get it in my flesh, but I believe in you and what your ways, here's the thing, we have to ask ourselves these three questions, what I've already kind of said. Is what I know correct? Is what I have been taught my entire life correct? And is how I feel in line with what the God of heaven says? As a believer, y'all, if you want to grow in your faith, those three questions are so important because none of us walk into this deal correct on all of these, right? You don't just come out of the waters of baptism, right? You're like, oh, you're floating. Some of us floated higher than others. Becoming a believer and follower of Jesus is actually a nasty process because there's a lot of death, right? There's a lot of death. So this, thus, uh, the reason why, um, as a church and a family, we want to know who the Lord is because you need to know the one who is asking you to do and follow all these hard things is actually worthy of your dedication. And so over the last few weeks, we've talked about, um, and I call it the killing of deity role-playing. How do you like that? For y'all that play those dumb role-playing games, right? Shake my 20-sided die, boom! You're not God, you're dead. Woo! Thank you, all four of you. I'm getting, I'll get everybody eventually today with different things. Amen? Last couple of weeks, we've talked about um, just some of the characteristics of God, and we, we're talking about attributes. And so we talk about what is an attribute, what God has revealed about himself. And does anybody remember the last three attributes that we talked about? Just so I feel secure about myself and my preaching? It's been a few weeks. I'm going to ask Darnell. He's over there. He'd get mad at me if I ask him. He's eternal and unchanging. Amen. This week, we're going to talk about another one, and it seems simplistic, but it's this. It's he is, he is good. Everybody say he's good. Remember in church, for some of y'all that grew up in church, God is good. And all the time, amen, brothers. I, I do. I'm not putting that down to anybody. It's, it was a great thing. I just always 
wondered about the hearts that were saying it in the, in the room. Uh, here's the deal. God is good. Now, when we think about this for a minute <laughs> and why this is the characteristic we need to focus on is I don't think anybody would say that's a follower of Jesus to say that God is not good. God's not good. <laughs> the problem is, is that situationally, uh, we speak it with our heart. When we walk in fear, when we walk in uh, you know, just, just, just negativity and brokenness and critical hearts. I mean, we're not saying with our mouths that God isn't good. What we're saying with our hearts is, is God not, might not be good in these, some of these situa- situational areas. Words, amen? The Bible talk, talking about the Lord is, listen, 1 John 1, 5. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. When we start looking at God and his sovereignty, you have to know that, you know, there's this situational theology where God is growing into a better God, right? He's seeking counseling, right? He's in a self-help class with Bob Smiley, right? He's doing all of this stuff, but the Lord is just pure. The Lord is good and there's nothing dark in him at all. There's no stain. There's no blemish. When you look at the definition of pure, it should just be a picture of the Lord because he's without brokenness. We talk about this and we look in the Old Testament and Moses and the Lord are having this intimate conversation in Exodus 33, 18 through 19. And Moses said, please show me your glory. He asked the Lord to see his glory. And the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Kevin Kevin DeYoung has this cool quote. I'll throw up there. It says, Moses asked for glory. God promises goodness. Do you see that? Glory is like the characteristics of God. It's all of his awesomeness, right? His awesomeness, all of his attributes in one. But then he says, God promises goodness. The two cannot be separated. If glory is the weight and worth of God, then goodness is the blessing and bounty of God. What Moses sees is actually a declaration of God's name and his character. Lord, show me your glory. And the Lord says, okay, I'm going to pass before you and you'll see all of my goodness. They're intertwined. Continue to read in the scriptures, um, everything good, everybody say everything good, comes from him. John 1, 17, this is one of those coffee cup verses. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And as we've talked over the years, we talk about God's grace. Everything good is from the Lord. And most of us will say, yeah, everything good is from the Lord. But I got to be honest, once I do a little something, something, once I've come up with, I put together a good lesson or, you know, like the once or twice a year, I got a good sermon, whatever it is, I'm like, I start to do this thing. But literally, scripturally, if we look, listen, every life is a gift from the Lord. Amen. Joy is a gift from the Lord. Love is a gift from the Lord. Your spouse on most days is a gift from the Lord. Amen. Your friends, your kids, your job, your beautiful things, breath, every good thing is a gift from. Now, I know we're coming up to the Thanksgiving season, 
And some of you are, we're going to start our once a year, 30 days of thankfulness Facebook post, right? <laughs> so we're all excited about that. But can you imagine the people baptized in that truth that every single good thing comes from the Lord, and we just lived our lives as an expression of understanding that? Every, you look at your child, thank you, God. You look, you look at this room, our friends, the people, this family, thank you, God. You take a breath, thank you, God. Your goodness provides. Um, man, thankfulness is a huge problem in many of our hearts. Mine, specifically, because I'm a half, I'm not even a half empty. I'm like a glass cracked and stuff fell out a year ago guy, right? That was horrible. I'm a pessimist. And the only way to lead pessimism, I grew up with pessimists. We are professional the Dan Nikoniski family, we are professional pessimists. It's hard to beat us at our pessimism. And the problem with that is that's not the heart of God for me. And when I live out that life of pessimism, that everything's busted, everything's broken, I'm literally kicking against the very reality and truth that God is good and everything I have is a gift from him. Hallelujah. Amen. Word. Scriptures also continued. I just want to show you some of these scriptures on the goodness of God. Like we're invited in to see and to know the goodness of God. Psalms 34, 8, the psalmist just over and over again, David and just uh, over and over again in the Psalms just talks about this. It said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, right? Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. There is an open invitation, y'all, from the God of heaven to know that he's good to ask for his, to see his goodness, for there to be divine revelation. The Lord doesn't want to hide his goodness from you. He can't, but there's a heart's desire of, Lord, I want to see, and I want to know your goodness. Who can have the goodness of God? Psalms 86.5 says, For you, Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who... Y'all, this is why missional living is important. Right? The scriptures say the goodness of God is available to all who call upon him. Like our heart's desires is to go and to see people know the goodness of God. You know what's going you know to break uh, the cycles of death and poverty? The goodness of God. You know what's going to break fatherlessness in the hearts of our kids? The goodness of God. Your broken marriages, our addictions, you know what's going to break all of those things? The goodness of God. Amen. How long does the goodness of God last? It just depends on how good you are. Amen? Sarcasm. It's good. All right. <clears throat> but a Paul sarcasm, not an anti-biblical sarcasm. Psalms 23.6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How long does the goodness of God follow us? Forever. All the days of my life. And some of you were like, yes, that's a great point when everything's great. But what about when the phone rings and all hell breaks loose? on my existence. Guess what? The goodness of God is there. It's perception and where we have to do work through the Holy Spirit to see that God is good. Amen? In the midst of hard times, the scriptures are clear. <laughs> David is in this season. I don't know if you pay attention, but David's accolades, if you read through the Psalms, they're like, yes, Lord, I just want to be in your presence. And then like next day, it's like, why have you forsaken me? Oh my gosh, this is hard. That's just my abridged version of David in the scriptures. But David is actually going through some pretty hefty 
garbage, right? He's being accused of false witness. His own son, in, 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 in the scriptures if we look, uh, betrays him and tries to take his kingship. His boss, Saul, the king, wants to kill him over and over and over again. It's rough. And David yet um, says this. He says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Now, this isn't prosperity gospel. This is faith, right? This is like in the middle of a hard season, David is literally being chased like a dog. And the David says, I believe I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. In my lifetime, the goodness of God is going to pour out. In the midst of my broken marriage, the goodness of God is going to pour out. Just hold on, David says. We believe by faith that the goodness of God. Mike, I think about you going through the last few years. Have you seen the goodness of God showing up even after losing your beautiful wife? Many of you have gone through such horrific things, and yet the goodness of God, and by the way, here's the secret. In the midst of the garbage, the goodness of God is there and alive and well, just like it is today. It's, it's perception. And our hearts aren't always open to it because our hearts are crushed. But the promise is the goodness of God is there. Amen? Um, if we look through our daily security, this is good for us anxietyites. Who, where are my anxietyites at? Some of you are even afraid to raise your hands. That's a legit anxiety. All right, thank you for your honesty, the rest of you. All right, take your Zoloft, whatever you got to do. All right. Matthew 6, 26 through 30. Listen, listen to this about, um, this is just a common verse, but the goodness of God is like in the point of this. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you, O oh you of little faith? Um, this hit me like a Mack truck. The presence of anxiety is can be a chemical thing, be a situational thing. Uh, I've struggled with it since I was seven, medicated, all those things, battling it my whole life. That's not, the, that's not the presence of anxiety that creates ungodliness or sin. It's what you do with it, right? It's, it's what you do with it. If you have it present in your life, it doesn't mean you're a faithless chump. It means that you have a faith battle in front of you that you have to speak the name of Jesus in and trust him. But when we live a life Listen, where we take our eyes off the Lord, we're living a lives full of it, not just having anxiety, but anxiety overwhelming us. Here's the deal, is I believe we have taken our eyes off the goodness of God and what we're really saying is, God, you're not good. You're not good enough to overwhelm my situation. You're not good enough to overplay because listen, the scriptures are clear. Listen, why are you worried about food? Why are you worried about clothing? One day at a time. This is the seek me first stuff, Right? This is what the scripture is. And he's saying, listen, doesn't the father love you more? Aren't you more to him than lilies and birds in the air and anything else in all creation? He is good. 
And so the, the club you need to, we need to all of us beat over the head of our anxiety, not the presence of it, the overwhelmingness of it, is the goodness of God. Oh yeah, uh, I don't know if we're going to make it through this week financially. Bam! Goodness of God club, amen? You know what that is? Hey, remember every time the Lord has come through has been good to us? Somebody uh, betrays you in life and you're just questioning your existence, and you're getting all of your identity from a man or from a woman, and another person left, and you're not good enough. Bam! You hit it with the club of God's goodness that says, oh, wait a minute, I'm a son and daughter of the living God. And people don't, people don't prescribe my, my identity and my value. The God of heaven does. Like, we should walk heavy. We should come up with a bat. It just says the goodness of God, just to have in your houses as long as some of y'all with marital trouble and some anger, aggression with your children don't hit each other with it, amen? Because then we will sign off and we don't know you here at the church, okay? But it just seems clear as this quote, it seems clear that when we are lost in worry and despair, we have taken our eyes off of the goodness of God. Rob, did God say that he was gonna take care of you every day of your life? Yes, he did. That's his goodness, did God say he was going to rescue us out of the darkness and out of the brokenness of our sin? Yes, he did. And yes, he does. Well, how do I know? Because he's always done that. And he always will. The goodness of God is not negated by hard situations. The goodness of God is actually amplified in the middle of broken things. If we can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, shift our hearts to see it right. And the devil, listen to me. If there's a time when that guy shows up to whisper in your ear, it's those times where you, you're right in the middle of that season of choosing and crazy things are going on. The goodness of God is over here. The bat's ready, right? And this lion punk thief comes whispering in your ear and he starts reminding you of all of the things that you failed in and all of the things that God has probably disappointed in you with and you're not a good enough this and that and well, God would help you in this situation, but you're such a da-da-da-da. Who deserves the bat more than the devil? You know, you know what the devil can't argue with? The goodness of God, Right? What did he promise Eve? Oh, surely you'll be like God. Uh, <laughs> that was her taking things into her own hands, caused brokenness when she had everything and anything in the goodness of God. It was a stupid lie about the fullness of the goodness of God that humanity bought into that brought destruction. You are one bat beating of a lie away from freedom and joy and peace in your life. Um, the goodness of God, if we're going to be honest, um, if God is completely good, then what he has for me is completely good. We read Jeremiah 29, 11, I have plans for you good. And at the same time, we, we put those on our coffee cups and we put them on our t-shirts and we'll stay them, say them at con you know, conferences and stuff. But in the end, does my life magnify the fact that I actually believe with all of my spirit and my heart that God is good? If it doesn't, that should be all of us in one way or another. We, should, we need to re-up with the Lord and get on our faces and say, God, you're good. You've always been good. You always will be good. And my perception through my human eyes 
has darkened the truth of my life and worship him. Listen, we believe that God is eternally good, historically good, big picture good. But if we're honest, we battle with the perception in situational goodness. I know God's good, but he's not watching me. He doesn't hear my heart's cry for a a man or a woman. He doesn't hear my heart's cry for my children. Do you realize that God can't not hear your heart's cry? That the scriptures are full of God's compassion for his broken children, that he hears every cry, that he's involved intimately in what's going on in our lives, even though we don't understand what's happening. As I was praying through this, um, and some of these are just repetitive things, but I, I want to be sensitive. But there's some arguments that people have off and on about the goodness of God, right? So anytime you say God is good, oh, let's try this again. All the time, God is good. Man, we're just growing right now, aren't we? Amen. Um, here's some arguments about uh, the goodness of God that I think a lot of people have. I just felt like I needed to walk through these. Number one is his goodness seems disproportionate. Amen. Let's move on to the next one. I'm just kidding. Uh, I've heard this, and nobody says it outright, but we start to do this like, oh, well, God is better to other people than me, or God blesses other people more than me. If God is really good, and, and we, don't, we don't say this, but we do it with keeping up with the Joneses. Um, I know people in life that anytime, like, you know, someone, when somebody gets blessed by something of God, you know, they're like haphazardly happy for you, but they're like, well, God, they're doing that for me. <laughs> I mean, does anybody know anybody like this or is it just me? It's me and Darnell, me and the Bryants, right? And I've never felt that way about y'all. I'm happy when you get blessed. Amen. All right. Um, but it seems like people feel like God is disproportionate. Like, oh, well, he, he ignores the poor and he only favors, you know, rich Americans. And there's just this heart cry all over. And let me, let me say this. God's goodness is given to us according to his grace, not according to merit. Does anybody hear what I'm saying? This is not a consumer transaction. I do this, you do this, uh, no, God is giving us his grace. And so uh, when we look at the world and we see things and we feel like other people are more blessed than us, and so God doesn't like us as much or, you know, we don't have as much freedom, we don't have as much breakthrough. You know, some of us weren't here. Here's a big one dealing with addictions and addicts all my life. Well, how come there's some people that just wake up one day, pray to the Lord, and they never touch dope again? And there's so many of us that have to fight every day of our lives walking through that. Where's God in all of that? I'm telling you, the goodness of God is right in the middle, just like he is in every situation. Amen? There's this, <laughs> there's this scripture, uh, Jesus is telling a parable. He's talking about these guys that are working in the field, right? And so there's this guy that gets hired in the morning, and he works all day, and he gets a certain amount of pay. Then he brings in guys. Uh, this is in Matthew chapter 20. He brings in guys in the middle of the day and, and guys at the end of the day. And guess what? The, the guy pays them all the same amount. And so the guys that worked a 10-hour day, I don't know if it's banker's hours, eight, hour, eight hours a day, and guys that worked two hours that day, they all got paid the same, right? And then all of a sudden what we see, this is the reply of those guys that worked all day to Jesus. He says, but he replied to one of them, friend, am I doing you no wrong? I am, sorry, that, that screwed up the scripture. You got to put your words in the right order. Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Do you not agree with me for a denarius? That's what he agreed to get paid. Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this to the last worker as I give to you. 
Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? What is he saying? Everything we have is grace. Everything we have is a gift, and we don't get to decide who gets what. Here's the thing. God is working on a different level and different time frame than we are. There are things that God does in people's lives that doesn't pertain to you because you are on a different road and a different journey. There are things that need to happen in your lives. It could be the injection of things and blessings. It could be the withholding of certain things and not making so much money, whatever it is. This is where the prosperity gospel dies, right? There are poor people in India living in pallet shacks happier than we are. That doesn't mean anything. The point is like God is orchestrating faith and a journey for every single person, every single person. And when we look at the outward things and go, why do they have this? And why do they have that? Why don't I have this? God must not. You don't understand. God is trying to teach sufficiency of grace to every person and every person is on a different road. If Jojo next door got way more stuff than you, then guess what? That's something the Lord's doing. You praise God for what he has. Thank God for what you have. Because when you compare, we're saying, what I have isn't good enough. And the Lord, the bigger, and these are all worldly things. Eternal love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, those are all poured out on the same amount to every single person. And we look at situational things that go, I don't know why some people wake up and they're free of addiction in one day. Maybe they wouldn't have made the journey. Maybe there wasn't a faith-building opportunity in them. Maybe they, God sees more than we do. And maybe some of us had to go 30 years through the sobriety action with the Lord. Maybe there was something in there that the Lord was teaching and doing that we couldn't see because he was taking us to... Now, I believe there's immediate relief for people who submit and obey to the Lord and you can come out of addictions with obedience. I'm talking about the battle. Everybody hear me? The journey. He's not unfair. Here's another one um, that I hear a lot. Uh, God's discipline and retri retribu retri retribution. Thank you, bro. Um, <laughs> uh, this really happens in a world full of people that have very bad uh, broken mommy and daddy issues. Like the presence of um, correction and discipline in your lives has always been horrific, has always been negative, has always been overbearing, has always been without love, has always been with um, always some kind of back, um, what am I, what word I'm trying to think, Maybe some kind of contingency upon your action. And when, so when we see God discipline, the scripture says, Father disciplines those he loves. When you look at that scripture, literally, if you are loved by God, you will be disciplined. Amen. I like a good shellacking, you know? <laughs> and some of us would attribute that to a, to a father who just had such critical words to you. Never breathe life into you. And discipline is connected to toxicity. And that is not the God of heaven. Y'all, we all need... Let's go to Walmart together. On a field trip, we'll all hold hands. And let's walk through Walmart. God help me. I don't do it anymore because I lose my 
whatever, and let's find whose children in Walmart are without discipline. <laughs> How long would it take us to find children without discipline at Walmart? Hold on, I'm on. Just stop. Stop talking. I'm, ta- I'm talking to my friend. Hold on. Ah! Literally, I don't know if you're one of those dads, but I'm one of those dads that walk around Walmart like this. If I just see you, if you talk to me like that, I just bust you upside and <laughs> This is how I walk around Walmart the whole time. Thus is why we start ordering curbside pickup. <laughs> or to be fair, I just send Jen because she's full of way more grace um, than I am <laughs> when it comes to that. But discipline is a good thing. Hebrews 12, 6, it just says, the Lord disciplines those he loves. And then people start thinking about the other side of punishment, like what about eternal consequences? Like people say, if God is good, then how can he allow people to go to hell? And here's the proof of that, of that point is, uh, God isn't allowing people to go to hell. What God is doing is allowing people an option not to go to hell through the saving grace and blood of Jesus and in rebellion and in sin, people choose it. There is a way out for all who call upon the name of the Lord. His name is Jesus. He's Lord of our lives. And that, that eternal punishment, it's like, I always talk about this, like, like we don't understand like God's judgment and his, his, his um, what's the word I'm looking for? Justice. Like we think about justice for a minute, like we always hear this, okay, uh, somebody murdered somebody and you're in court, okay? And you're in court and the judge says, you know what? You are guilty, but in my love and grace for you, I will take the punishment and you can just go free. That's half the story when it comes to the goodness of God. Because what if that murderer slaughtered your baby? What if he raped and killed your wife? And you're in the room. You're in the room watching this trial. And the trial, the judge says, hey, you're forgiven. You know what I mean? It's all good. I've got it. There's no justice in that. God is so good. God is pure justice that he cannot allow sin, the complete opposite of him, to go without being dealt with. That's why the cross is so important, right? Eternal punishment, there is a way out of eternal punishment. God didn't create it to be a jerk to everybody. He created grace and love for people who would receive him, call him Jesus, call him Jesus, call him Lord. Wow, that just got weird, right? God would not be good if he left injustice unchecked. You hear me? If there wasn't a complete and final zoop, authority uh, answer, uh, uh, making of right, he wouldn't be good. Who, think about it right now. If God would just start picking and choosing how things worked in this room and who got justice in your way and not, how would we feel walking out of here? Like God is perfection. He can have nothing to do with those things. He's literally the opposite of it. Thus, Jesus being on the cross and taking sin on his shoulders for us is so mind-blowing. The God who knew no sin put sin on him for us to be free. Amen? It's a misunderstanding of sin. Sin is a big deal. Hear me? Sin is a big deal. And it's forgiven only through Christ. And people that will spend eternity away from him do it by choice. The last one of these three is, um, and this is the biggest one, why is there suffering in the world? People will say, if God's so good, why is, why is there suffering, right? How many of you have ever heard this? 
How many of us have even asked that question before? Like, man, if God's good and I turn on the TV and I look at the war in Ukraine and I, and I see the atrocities these, these Russian thugs are doing in murdering these Ukrainian villagers in villages and like mass graves and burying them, like if God is good, how can he let that happen? How can he let drive-bys happen and somebody lose their 15-year-old baby? Like, where is he? You have to understand, there's an enormous difference between God causing it and God allowing it. Because here's the deal. How did, if we go back to Genesis 3, prior to the sin of man, how were things with God and his people? Perfect, right? Good, naked, walking around, eating fruit, right? I mean, some of you are like, that's my dream. That's kind of weird. Don't share that with everybody. But listen, prior to that, there was no death. There was no cancer. There was no wars. There was no racism. There was no uh, poverty. There was, there was nothing but Jesus and the Lord, excuse me, and his people and perfection. What happened in the midst of all that that caused brokenness? The minute that Adam and Eve sinned, was the minute, and they were warned about it, when sin entered the world and destruction came. And I got to be honest, if I was God, I would have said, that's it. I'm done with you. I'm going to start over. And what did he do? From that very moment, he started to weave this promise all through the Old Testament from that line, literally at that moment when he clothed Adam and Eve, he gave them a promise about this serpent and the serpent's head was going to be crushed by the heel of her offspring. And, and he was going to be the one that was going to break that curse. And the Old Testament follows that all over and over and over and over again. The point is, God did not create the brokenness. And some of you are like, why didn't he just make us? Why doesn't God just make us be good and we wouldn't have to go down that journey? Because that's not what love is. You can't force anybody to anything. And the God of sovereign heaven knows that. Real love, real intimacy, real relationship comes when people choose to be in love. When people choose to walk in obedience. God didn't create robots. He created man in his image and gave him the option to love him or not. So when you see cancer, riddling the body of people you love, that is not proof that God is not good. The proof that God is good in the middle of that is he heals, and if he doesn't heal on this side of heaven, the God of heaven uses cancer stories for his glory. He brings power, the Holy Spirit comes, and that person, if they're a follower, have eternal life with Jesus where their bodies that are broken are no more. Now, why does he allow it? Listen, I don't know why. Number one, I know this, that if we all got to sit back, you guys remember that dumb movie in the 90s? That just says a lot, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that one. Um, where the guy dies, and they go to a pre-heaven, and he's wearing like a robe. Rick Meeks will get this. And they have to sit in a room and watch video of their lives and all the good or bad choices they made if they took risks and stuff. It's a horrible theological movie, but it's a really fun story. He meets this woman there, and in the end, he gets to go on to heaven because he jumps on her train. She was good, he wasn't. It's just weird. But, <laughs> but I don't know why I'm even telling you that story. Amen? Huh? Now you're all going to watch it, yeah. 
Heaven await? Heaven can wait. Huh? Heaven can wait. Um, it just, I, I just got to tell you, I don't want to ruin it for you. That's just not how it works. <laughs> right? Like the grace of Jesus is over everybody. No video needed. Right? <laughs> but in this thing on earth, like God is orchestrating things. Listen, why is it that my wife and I only know Jesus because we lost a baby? Some people, if you look back and go, how could God make us lose our first child? <laughs> it's the greatest, most horrific thing that ever happened to me. Stole my breath, broke my heart, saved my life. Like God is orchestrating horrible situations. He's not causing them but he's allowing them. And God's goodness is in the middle of every, every broken situation you have been through. The God of heaven is in the middle of it, orchestrating something for our good. It says in Romans 8, 20, like he's in the midst of it. So why does a good God cause suffering on people? He doesn't. We cause suffering. Humanity causes suffering. God brings redemption from suffering and if I'd like to go take a, like a poll over all of you right now, if we were going to see the places you grew the most or the places you will grow the most, for some of you that are new, it became in places where your heart was ripped out, where you didn't have breath, where you couldn't control the situation and you cried out to Jesus and he's the only one that came and you learned and you grew. Those suffering moments are the grace of God. It's his goodness. And it doesn't feel like it, does it? We see this in the Psalms. Again, 119, 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. How many of y'all said that prayer lately? Lord, thank you. It's good for me to get my face kicked in. I'm better for it, right? But is it true? Then why don't we pray that way? Why don't we pray that way? God, that human caused me more pain than I ever thought I'd feel, abuse me. But Jesus, you're so good in the middle of that place. You're so sweet in the middle of that place. He's so good in the middle of all his broken things. <laughs> Just a one super biblical, super biblical. Like there's things more biblical than others. I guess if you add the Apocrypha and stuff, whatever. Um, we look at Joseph's testimony. So we look in the Old Testament, Joseph, right? What happens to Joseph? He's got a technicolor dream coat, right? His dad loves him more than his brothers, right? He's probably some snotty little, dad likes me more than you. That's not how it goes, right? But that's how his brothers perceived him. He's got these brothers. By the way, they are the foundation of God's people and the tribes of Israel, right? And all of a sudden, Joseph's brothers get angry. And what do they do? They're going to murder him. They're like, no, 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 let's just sell him into slavery. So they sell him into slavery. He goes to Egypt, right? Things aren't well for the old boy. He, he starts to gain popularity, gets in with Potiphar, and then all of a sudden what happens? Potiphar's nasty, something or other wife wants to, well, you know, do things with, with him that are not God. And he, what does he do? He's a holy man, just runs away from her. He leaves his clothes back at the place. He's running, and she has his coat. He goes to prison because of it. And all of a sudden, in the end, he, he goes back to this place of, of rise. He's the second most powerful man in Egypt. And his brothers come, and there's a famine. 
his papa dies, and his brothers are like, oh, this is not going to work out well for us. Pretty sure you're going to squash us. And listen to Joseph's words. He is a beast. Genesis 50, verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me. God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. What Joseph say? Y'all meant my destruction, but look what God did. Not only did God do good things for me, God like saved an entire nation of people because, and his brothers meant evil. So when was the last time you looked into the face of your brothers? I'm not, please don't go home and yell at your actual siblings, right? But people who meant things for destruction in your life, but God actually used it to do things. This church exists because of that. This church has existed on the heart of two people. And I, I'm not, for those of you who've been around since the beginning, I'm not excluding you. What I'm saying is, my wife and I, nobody wanted to touch us as church planners. I had a wife that fell into an affair. We came out of addictions, mental illness. The devil meant for us to die. That situation was an, uh, an opportunity for us to lose and to choose otherwise. And God in his grace, what the enemy meant for evil, what people who hated us meant for evil, God used for good. I stand here with this testimony and this story of we should be dead. We shouldn't be here. We shouldn't have five kids that love Jesus, the two amazing daughter-in-laws and a soon-to-be amazing son-in-law and whatever Aiden's working on. Amen. <laughs> oh, pastor's kids. And Naomi's not allowed to get married. And some of you people have got chump kids that keep talking about want to be my daughter's boyfriends. Keep an eye on your children all the time. Papa don't, Papa don't like that. <laughs> um, Spurgy baby says this. God is good, not because he causes things that seem or feel good to happen in our lives, but because in the midst of the storm, God comes closer to us than the storm could ever be. If you read that and go, hallelujah, amen, you know what I'm talking, if you read that and go, I don't feel that way, I'm going to tell you right now, it's perception. God can't be distant from you. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. If you're a spirit-filled believer, the presence of God is literally in you. Can't not be with you. His goodness is in the middle of it. Um, I just want to end with this. Like, um, I'm calling it um, an injection into the reality of goodness in every situation. That'll be my next book. If anyone would ever want to come and get in my brain and help me write a book. I know you say it, but it's, it's a dangerous place. You told me, I know. Mm -mm -mm. All right. Um, look at this quote. The goodness of God is not a variable. It's an unchanging reality in every situation and moment for all eternity. Our job, let's, let's just do some work together. Can we do some work? Listen. Um, we've got to inject the reality of God's goodness in every situation, which means you're going to have to walk sometimes contrary to how you feel. And so when we look, I just came up with some scenarios and, and do this with me. We can go way deep into these. I don't want to, but on the best day of my life, 
how do I inject the reality of the goodness of God? Let's say it's the day I got married. Say it's the day I had my, my babies. It's the day that uh, I was delivered or whatever it was. Uh, what is the protocol in those days? Because in those days, God's people can seemingly forget that it's the best day of your life because God allowed it to be the best day of your life. In those days, what do you do? You praise God because it's good. You say, God, thank you for this sweet gift, this person you've given me, this baby you've given me. God is good on those days. It's easier, right? What about on an ordinary day? We will lose track on an ordinary day if we don't stop and inject the goodness of God. The re not, I'm not saying inject the goodness of God. Inject your reality and perception of the goodness of God in a day. If we don't stop in an ordinary day and say, man, nothing, you know, it's like, you know, who was it? Ice Cube. Today was a very good day. So, all right, four of you understood that. Don't go listen to that. But anyway, Cube didn't get shot at or anything like that. He said it was a good day. The point of the matter is, is that we have to praise God in the ordinary days because you have no idea what's going on behind the scenes of what God has been articulating and working for your good and your glory. No, but it changes. What about a day full of anxiety? How do you be on purpose about an injection of the reality of the God's goodness on a day of anxiety? You pray that way. You ask the Lord for revelation of his goodness. You have people in your lives that will say, hey, uh, you got your head down in the dirt a little bit. Lift your head up. Do you remember what God has been doing for you over these last 20 years? Right? Don't you hate those friends? I said I want to feel sorry for myself. What about a day full of temptation? What if you've been clean for a long time and all of a sudden out of nowhere, stuff starts rising back up in you? Why would it be important to focus and look upon the goodness of God? Like, God, I, I want to go back into that hole. I know I don't want to be there, but my flesh is crying out for it. But God, I've, I've just seen how I've been sober and you've been so good to me. And God, you were so good to help me get out of that. And I don't want to backtrack. I don't want to go against it. Lord, I'm going to focus on you and not my temptation all day. Glory to God. What about in the day of great loss? What about if we lose? Um, I, I mean, I'm just uh, famous for going full scorched earth on these things. But what about on a day that we, you lose your spouse? Your mama dies unexpectedly. Maybe one of your babies. I mean, this isn't fun to talk about, but I'm telling you. What do you do in the middle of those days? You don't walk around going, well, God is good, I'm suffering loss. But you take the bat of the goodness of God in every one of those lies that keep coming in your head where my life is over, I'm never going to have a, I'm never going to see it. And you beat that, those things to death. Because the goodness of God is alive and well in the days of your deepest heartache as he is on the days of your best rejoicing. You've got to steer your heart that way. My, my spouse cheated. You know, what do you do on that day? But God, you're good. I am married to you first and foremost. You're the only one that can redeem our marriage. You are the only one that has known the whole time. You hold me in your strong right hand. You are good. And I refuse to believe the death that the devil is trying to spin over me right now. And boy, by the way, that's a great one until you actually have to do it. I just came up with a bunch of these in a day when you wake up with a Cowboys jersey on. You got to call out to the goodness of God. God is good in another land just north on I-35. 
in Kansas City. Amen, brother. No. Um, what about a season of abuse? What about in the midst of a bad diagnosis and you've been told that you have some horrible disease that they don't know if you're going to survive? What about global pandemics? What about persecution? Think about the global pandemic. How many of you in the midst of COVID uh, didn't see the fact that God was good to you in the middle of that whole thing? How many of us are still alive? Most of us. By the way, if we go back to the suffering piece, we look at COVID, I believe with all of my heart that God is, is weaving revival through COVID in the last couple of years because the folks that say they were full of faith and believed and didn't are falling off and there's this remnant left of the church and we have a choice to either stand up and be full of faith. I saw a report yesterday that says the majority, Christian majority in the United States is gonna to be totally dead by 2070 and will no longer be a majority and there was all these happy faces and likes on it. And I'm like, you fools, I don't know if we've ever been the majority. And by the way, Christianity works best when we're not. When we are the underskirts and nobody, when, when it's not a political religion and we are actually just the people of God not going to church but being the church, we thrive. Are you kidding me? Come on. What the devil meant for destruction, Jesus is using for good. Lord, revival, revival, revival. And then the Lord's like, okay, let me break off these things. And they're like, whoa, that's not good. It's good. It's good. There comes a day when we have to answer for our faith. It's good. It's good. Because we will no longer have any issues standing next to people that we know and that are in with us or not. It'll be blood in, blood out, baby. By the way, persecuted Christians are some of my favorite heroes on the face of the earth. I read stories of Iranian women church planters and Chinese people And in some ways, I'm stupidly jealous of them. Because they are. The Bible. And that's what our hearts desire. That even in the midst of this comfortable noose, and here, let me say this, maybe it's from the Lord, maybe it's not. Let's invite a persecuted Chinese Christian to your house and let's tell them about all the things that we think God's goodness is lacking in and let's just see what their response is. Listen, we'll end with this. God is good all the time. The question for you and me is, do we perceive his goodness all the time? And I'm not talking about what comes out of your lips, family. I'm talking about what comes out of our actions and our heart. Is there a rebellion because you believe that what God says he has that's better for you, you don't really believe it. You're going to keep going this way and you know it leads to destruction, but you know that, man, I'm just, I got to get mine now. Is there problems in your relationships and in your life where the goodness of God is over it, but you don't believe it and you have become so pessimistic and so <laughs> angsty and broken and you're miserable? And your face doesn't show the kingdom of God. It shows the heaviness of man. Like, is there an area this morning, as we go into a time of worship, is there an area that if you were going to give it a litmus test to, that you would say, with my mouth, I proclaim that God is good, 
But with my reactions and my actions, I don't know if that matches up. And then do this. This is what the Lord's waiting. The Lord is a good God. He's a good father. He wants to reveal his goodness. Uh, I would, if I, if I uh, wanted to be around this many people this week, I would say, hey, let's make an appointment for every single one of you in this room and in one of our elders or any of our staff, and let's seriously go through every situation of brokenness in your life, and you share it, and I'm going to sit there and ask the Lord to reveal all the ways he was good to you in that place, and then you need to take that home and receive it and sit on it and worship him because of it. We could do that with every single person in this room because he is good. The bigger question is, um, can, can you ask him? Where are you falling short on believing the goodness of God? Maybe you don't. Maybe you're just like, yeah, I just need to worship him again because he's good. I'm going to pray and the worship team is going to come up. I'm going to forget the rest. I've got another two and a half hours of stuff in here. The goodness of God is in this place. You understand me? The goodness of God is in this room. He loves you. He adores you. For some of you who have not responded to the gospel, do you realize that the gospel is the goodness of God? That you are a sinner? That everything we do in sin is contrary to God and he should have let us be destroyed and go to that eternal punishment place because he loved us, John 3.16. He gave his one and only son that whoever believe in him should not perish and have everlasting life baptized in his goodness. And the devil's going to be in your ear going, don't do it, don't do it. This is weak. This guy's a blah, 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 blah. Of course he doesn't want you to know the goodness of God. And the Lord is there with his arms wide open saying, baby, come home. I am good and I'm for you and I love you. That's what making the Lord of your, it's not a checkbox. Okay, I became a believer today. It's Jesus. I'm tired of the brokenness of the world. I need your goodness. I need your blood to wash me clean because you're good. And I want to walk in the days of goodness, all the days of my life. Some of you need to do that today and surrender your heart to Jesus. Some of us need to let the surgeon, good surgeon, come in the room and open up a part of your heart that doesn't really believe the goodness of God. And give it to him. Get up on the table and say, Lord, do your surgery. Cut it out of me. Show me, God, your goodness, because I know you're good. Convince my heart.